This is Adam Limpy, writer, editor, publisher of RegrettableSincerity.com, and this is a podcast with Carl Urban, who's the co-star of Red, with Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, John Malkovich, Helen Mirren, and Brian Cox. This was a call-in interview, so there's three of us. I left in the intro at the beginning, so you'll get a sense of who's talking. It's not revolutionary, anything that Carl says, and you'll obviously notice who he is because he's got the New Zealand accent, but it's more about the process. It's like, if you want to know what sort of standard interviews go, how they go, this is sort of what it would sound like. And Carl's really good at maintaining his cool and being professional throughout and staying on point as if he were a pundit. You have to respect that. There are a few spoilers throughout the podcast, but I don't think that uh, it should ruin the film. The film is almost intentionally predictable, so you should be fine if you haven't seen the film. So we've got on the phone three journalists now. Irv from MoviesUnlimited.com, Adam Lippy, who writes for a bunch of outlets, and Rosella from 215 Magazine. So I'm going to kind of moderate, but we're basically going to go one by one with questions. Okay. And we'll kick it off with Irv. Hi, Carl. How are you doing? Irv, how are you, my friend? I was wondering if you were familiar with the uh, source material before you took the part in the movie, and if not, did you read the stuff after you took the part? My first introduction to the material was through the script. After that, I met the director and checked out the graphic novel, which really only represents a fraction of the first act of our film. And in tone, it's quite different. It's a lot sort of darker and and, uh, and, and violent. I think the Hope Brothers did a great job of adapting that concept and expanding it and creating a, a wonderful tapestry of uh, really interesting and funny, eclectic characters. So it was always intended to be lighter than the source material then, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Carl, the the movie, a lot of the performances in the movie are sort of broad, and I think that's sort of that's intentional. But your character is a henchman who happens to actually have a family, which is odd for this sort of film. And you play the film a lot more specific. Do you, did you see yourself as sort of the straight man, the more goofy aspects? Um, yeah, that's correct. I mean, my character really represents the reality of what's going on. I, I'm at the head of a conglomerate of people that are trying to kill him. And the wonderful thing, when I read the script, what really appealed to me was the fact that the character was written with a great deal of dimension. Uh, he's a CIA officer, a CIA hitman, and on the balance to that, he also has a family. And you get to see what that means to him through the course of the film. I start the film with one point of view and one perspective, and then through a paradigm shift in somewhere completely different. So this character has a great journey, a really definitive arc, and as an actor, you're always looking for that kind of material. So, you know, to label this guy as a henchman or a bad guy is, is actually selling the character incredibly short. William seems skeptical of the system the whole time. What do you think really brought him to Frank Lowe's side in the end? You know, one of the interesting phases in, in making Red was doing the research. I mean, I read every book that Robert Baer wrote, and then I had the good fortune to sit down with him and discuss at length the CIA and uh, his experience in the CIA. And so a lot of that prevailing attitude, the, the cynicism that you detect, is, you know, really sort of, uh, I drew from, from, from what he said. You know, the great thing is that, you know, my, my character is not, he's not a bad guy. He's, uh, he's a CIA officer who's doing a job. He's been told to liquidate 
intimidate someone and in the course of doing so stumbles upon a, uh, a conspiracy and then he has to make the, the choice about what to do about it. I have a feeling that if we saw the outtakes of this film that there'd be some pretty funny stuff. I mean, I could just imagine with this cast. Can you think of anything off the top of your head usual that happened during production or anything really unexpected or funny? You know what? I think the best bits are in the film. <laughs> okay. Uh, I really do. Uh, we had a lot of fun making this film, there's no doubt about that. You know, when I, I had the great pleasure of watching this movie for the first time with an audience in Austin, and uh, you know what? It's a romp. They, uh, they laughed their butts off the whole time, and, and you know, I'm very happy with how it turned out. Okay. I think it's one of those movies that, you know, you, um, you see the trailer and you hope that the best bits aren't in the trailer, and it's a case mm -hmm. of they're not. You know, the best bits of this movie are in the movie. A lot of the films you've made in the last 10 years have a very specific look. They're very stylized. A lot of them shot at night. If it's if they're not shot at night, there's a lot of filters being used. But Red is shot, a lot of it, in the daytime and very bright. Was that part of the conception? Was there a difference in tone in terms of on the set compared to some of your other films like Doom or The Chronicles of Riddick or Born Supremacy or anything like that? I think that was just part of the, the narrative the way the film was uh, constructed. Uh, I guess that really is a question for the director. Well, did, did it influence, was it a sort of change for you because you've worked on so many visual stylized films like Pathfinder? No, the fundamentals of filmmaking is still the same. What did you do in addition to talking to Robert Baird to prepare for the role? Uh, well, I underwent um, quite an extensive three-week training process um, specifically relating to the fight that I have in this movie with Bruce Willis. We talked a lot about the fight and what we wanted it to be. I mean, this is a, you know, frankly, quite a hilarious film, but that fight represents the reality of what's going on, of what's at stake, and it's life's death. We wanted the fight, you know, not to, you know, be too embellished with, you know, stylistic flurry that would sort of unnecessarily distract an audience. We just wanted an audience to sit there and watch these two guys go for it and, and basically <laughs> feel the pain. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy with uh, how it turned out. I think it's a stand-up fight. You've been in some films that have uh, huge cult followings, i.e. Star Trek, Lord of the Rings. I was wondering if you ever had any uh, oddball experiences with fans of these things in any way. No, I, I haven't actually. I've sort of enjoyed the opportunity to interact with fans wherever wherever that's occurred. You know, film is different to theatre. Theatre, you get an idea instantly whether the work you've done is appreciated or not. And quite often in film, it's not until a year or two years later when the film's released whether you find out it's funny. And even then, you know, you're not entirely sure until, you know, someone comes up and says, hey, I really enjoyed that performance. So, no, I, uh, you know what, I, if it wasn't for them, I, I wouldn't have a job. Uh, in red, I don't think two minutes go by without someone pointing a gun at someone else. Was there ever a thought of a scene where people could just debate over brunch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a good question. Um, was there a brunch scene? Uh, no, but perhaps if we get the opportunity to make a sequel, we should we should put that in. Do you have any word on Blackwater Transit and what what might be going on with that? I have no idea. I have no idea what's happening with that. You know, it's just a wait-and-see kind of a situation, really. 
What was it like getting your butt kicked by Bruce Willis? A lot of fun. We had a lot of fun making this fight. Bruce is a great guy. He, we, he was able to bring, you know, 60 films worth of uh, experience to the table, and uh, he, he gave as good as he got. Was the uh, fight scene something that was closely choreographed? Did you get to, you know, go out on your own and do some improvisation with that? Or, I mean, how did that all uh, work out? Well, as I said before, we trained extensively for about three weeks, and we talked a lot about the tone of the fight and uh, worked closely with the stunt coordinators on the specifics of it. It was it was grueling to shoot, you know. But, uh, I still had fun doing it. Not every day you get to throw uh, Bruce Willis across the room into a bunch of furniture. That was a good day. <laughs> the film it takes place in a lot of different locations, and I was wondering if they were shot, in fact, where they said they were, or was it one you know area that you just redressed or used uh, for different things? Or yeah, we shot all over the place, actually. We moved around quite a bit as a unit. Now, uh, Carl, you have um, often a very different look in every film you're in, but in this one you have a very polished, very specific look, and you look a lot like Johnny Knoxville in this. And I had wondered, oh, is, is was there ever a concern that he might get the role instead, considering, you know, he wouldn't have to put on an accent? Wow. Uh, well, well you know, I've never, that is, you know what? I have never had that question on this uh, <laughs> uh, on this publicity tour, so you get the prize, my friend. Yay! Um, well, you're, yeah. you're basically like doing a drier version of Johnny Knoxville, and that's not an insult. I mean, it's just in, in terms of facial expressions and tone. News to that. Moving on to Verzella. No one really gets mortally shot in the film. Was that a decision designed to, you know, continue with the comedic tone of the film? I think Morgan Freeman got mortally shot in the film. Um, I'm pretty dead when I turned him over. <laughs> but yeah, you know, look, certainly in tone, it's a, you know, it's a comedy, and you know, I feel it's more of a heavily in tone of comedy than it is in action. There's great action in the film, but even that, some of that's quite funny. I think that it's, it's the most part really tastefully done, and you know, it's kind of the film's kind of like a romp. I think in many ways, it's kind of like Ocean's, some Ocean's Eleven film meets uh, a spy caper. I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, somebody doesn't ask about Helen Mirren. <laughs> I was going to get there, so why don't we just do that? Working with <laughs> Helen, especially Helen with uh, this heavy artillery, was she familiar with this stuff? Was it like a surprise for her to pick up these weapons? And, and what was it like seeing a dame uh, handle this stuff? I tell you, she had a ball. She was, she'd been itching to do uh, a film like this for a long time, and to see her in that ball gown dress rocking the 50 cal, uh, I tell you, that's worth the admission uh, alone. And, and uh, I tell you, I, she is hot. She is incredibly sexy in real life, and I think everybody in the cast was smitten with her in one way or another. The subtext of the film is very similar to a few films in the last few months that came out, basically action films about aging, like Night and Day and The Expendables. Was there any sense of that on the set that there was this was about you know not just getting older but about becoming irrelevant and dealing with that oh good question yeah i mean the theme of ageism yes runs right through the film you know if, if, there's, if there's anything uh, you know that's uh, 
you know, about the fact that we as a society do mandatorily, you know, retire people when they get to a certain age, even though they may, may still have, you know, a lot to contribute in consideration of, you know, the years of valuable experience that they've, communi- that they've uh, accumulated. And, and I think that, you know, in this film, it, 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 you know, you can see how old school techniques uh, versus sort of new technology come up trumps. And that was actually reiterated a lot by Robert Baer in my discussions with him. And he talking about the way that the CIA operates today as opposed to uh, when he was in the company. You know, there is a lot more reliance on, on technology and satellite feeds and data haunts and things like that to get the job done, where in the old days it was about relationships. It was about CIA officers establishing connections with, with, with foreign nationals, turning them, making them to agents and gathering information like that. So I found that to be quite interesting. And, you know, it was just wonderful having Ernest Borgnine on set, who's 93 years old. I certainly hope that, you know, when I, if I, if I, if I ever um, have the good grace to be able to uh, make it to that age, that I'd, that I'd still be uh, able to work. So he came in at 93 years old, put in a full day at the office, still had that twinkle in his eye. You know, that was, I think, for me, one of, um, one of the more special memories of this film. What do you think happens to your character after the movie's end? Well, that is a good question. I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that really is in the hands of the writers. And, you know, we certainly, we had such a great time making this movie. And, you know, touch wood, if it, uh, if it finds an audience, we would love to come back and make another one. You know, and I think that there's uh, a multitude of directions you could go. Uh, you know, I think that the film leaves things pretty open-ended. Okay. Well, Carl, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Good luck with the movie. See ya. Thanks, everybody.